My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guests today are Paul Zonneveld and Mika Jacobs. Paul and Mika are the co-authors of the recent book, Emergent, which brings a systemic intelligence lens to the questions of how organizations get into and ultimately resolve complex challenges. The book focuses especially on the world of mergers and acquisitions, which in short is when one larger company purchases and absorbs a smaller company. And even if you really have no idea what that world is about, you can probably imagine pretty intuitively how difficult that is and how often that actually fails. Paul and Mika have both spent decades working with the question of how to help leaders thrive and organizations thrive. I think what surprised me most about this conversation was the deep attention to history that systemic intelligence brings to these questions of thriving. As Mika said to me offline, similar to human beings where trauma is stored in the body, impactful or traumatic events in companies are stored in their visible and invisible structures, in their quote-unquote tissue, their collective memory. These events still show themselves in the internal relations and in the organizational culture. This idea that we can understand what's happening now in our lives, in our relationships, in our leadership, in our organizations, by tracing the threads back through history to these root events, these impactful or traumatic moments, really resonating with me because I've been on my own personal journey to understand my family history, to understand the roots of my own suffering, my own fears, to see it applied so elegantly in an organizational context is really amazing. This felt like a masterclass and how to think about and feel and approach organizational understanding in a entirely new way. New to me, of course, since they've been doing it for a long time. I sense that if you care at all about what makes groups of people work, you will find this conversation deeply inspiring. And make sure you stick around to the very end because in addition to my conversation with Paul and Mika, Paul also led me through a 30-minute meditation focused specifically on what he calls ancestral work and tapping into our ancestral field. It was incredible, and we'll have it here as part of the whole show and also available for download on my website. <sighs> so let's get settled in and hear what Paul and Mika have for us. Paul, Mika, welcome to the, welcome to the Wonder Dome. Thank you, Andy. Welcome, uh, and thanks for having us. It's really yeah. nice. Yeah, this is really special. 
you and I, uh, the three of us have had a chance to to play a little bit together a few weeks back. This will be the first time I've done a podcast with two guests at once, which I'm really excited for. It's a bit of an experiment. Um, I know that you two work together very closely. So for you, mm-hmm. this isn't as much of an experiment, but for me, it is. And uh, I'm excited because for lots of reasons. One is that two of my friends and colleagues, Chelsea Simpson and Michael Stern, both of whom have been guests on this show, have spoken so highly of the work that you do and the ways it's transformed them personally, but also the the possibilities that they see in your approach to helping groups of people and organizations and collectives of people work together at deeper deeper level levels of harmony and synchronicity and connection. I just I just really hope that we can share at least a little flavor of that for anyone who's listening in today. Yeah, that would be wonderful if we can get there and share that with uh, as many people as uh, as are listening. That that would be wonderful, Andy. Yeah, yeah. So, Paul, maybe we can start with you, and then we'll just sort of see how we flow together. But the this the field that you work in or the the body of work or the kind of concept is something called systemic constellations is that right yeah we call it systemic intelligence mm. um, where the constellations are a, a tool or a part of and it's uh, it's looking at uh, the way we've translated it originally it came from family constellations that's where everybody keeps calling it constellations mm. Um, mm. but it's how do you look at living systems and, and we all know systems because we were grown up in them. You know, when we were born, there was a system, you and your mom, and maybe some siblings, maybe your father was there. Uh, so we are very, very well developed in sensing systems, although we're not conscious about it. Yeah. yeah. And from that whole family uh, constellation work, we started developing more applicable applications to put it into the organizational realm Mm. and Mm. start looking at organizations as living systems, which they, which they are. Yeah. Maybe um, I really want to start as best we can at at the ground floor here for, for myself and for anyone listening, particularly because at least here in the States, the word system is a pretty charged word. It's a pretty politically charged word. And also my sense is that for many people, it kind of comes loaded with, uh, hmm, there's a sort of quality of, of uh, like, there's like almost a nefarious quality, like the system, you know, and, and the system is working on us. And, and I think there's, a, I don't want to necessarily go down that rabbit hole, but I just want to acknowledge that, that what you're talking about speaks to that, but speaks to it, I think, in a way that is much more organic and natural and inevitable as opposed to um, in its nature kind of uh, part of a political structure or what have you. Like, of course, it's going to show up there, but you're, you're also exactly. almost getting to like a first principle around how people connect with each other. Is that right? Um, totally right, Andy. And thanks for alluding that because just the three of us, Mika, you and I, are creating a system because we mm. are interrelated. Mm. So systems are the way that we look at systems. It's not like a force or a power that is over you, but it's the interrelational in between what we call the elements that could be the people, 
that could be departments, that could be organizations, uh, it could be levels within organizations. So it is more how do you systemically, and that's why the word systemic is a, probably a better word than systems. Uh, systemically means that how do the elements relate to each other mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. is happening in those relationships? Mm. And so uh, in contrast to, to how you describe that sometimes people look at systems, um, for example, the metaphor that we use a lot is when you have a little a mobile over a baby's bed, you know, that these things that are just dangling there. And when you only touch one element of the mobile, the whole mobile starts to move. Mm. And that's, mm. that's a living system. That's a metaphor for a living system. Mm. You touch one piece, and then there's ripple effects or there's effects in all the elements that are connected to that. So if I would walk out of this conversation, it's not only that I walk out, but it has an effect on you, it has an effect on Mika, and it has an effect on the whole quality of what we're doing here. Mm. So mm. it's not just, we're not looking at the individual as a separate person. We're looking at the interconnectedness and the interbeing. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for, for underlining that. Mika, I'm curious what's coming up for you as you as you hear me make that distinction and you hear Paul flesh it out as we start here at the ground level of systemic intelligence what what else is that what else do you want to bring in here to this space before we dive deeper yeah and and when you said it i was smiling because i still remember and this is probably 10 years ago that i first got exposed to systems thinking and then you know later on to systemic intelligence I had exactly the same notion of systems, right? I thought about, I, I have a 20-year um, career in industry um, behind me, and I just thought about IT systems, and you know, mm. all the, I had a very technical view on it. So it took me a while to really, um, you know, feel that notion of systems uh, shift. Um, but what I would like to add is that for me, um, being systemically aware is actually almost a way of being because it comes with much more than there's a whole body of work behind it. And we'll talk about some of the principles, but it's, it's for me also the willingness to always consider what you see happening as symptoms of something that we might not see yet. Mm. A a deeper Mm. dynamic that might go back, you know, one or two generations in an organization or in a family system or a dynamic that is actually, the result of something in the interrelationship of uh, people. But what we often see on the surface is all the symptoms. And mm-hmm. then we tempt, we're tempted to, to fight the symptoms, but we're really not solving the underlying dynamic and sometimes making it worse, but certainly not solving it for the long term. So, so that would be one uh, for me. And then the other thing that I may, may want to add here is that um, despite, you know, we have so many different cultures around the world, what we have experienced time and time again is that, you know, some of these principles in living systems are really universal, even though, you know, there can be local specificities. So the way it is expressing itself or is manifesting itself can be different, but it's quite universal how living systems operate and how living systems want to go back to flow mm. and, and try all kinds of correcting mechanisms to go back to flow. Not always constructive mechanisms, by the way, but it's an attempt from the system to really restore flow and to integrate some of the things that have been 
off track from the past. So that, mm. that's maybe another one, you know, as we lay the foundation here to add uh, at this yeah. moment. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that these systems have histories and that these histories, the processes moving through the system stretch back over generations. And what we're seeing now is an, ex, uh, an expression, like anything we see in our lives is not only in the moment, but also maybe an expression of that process over time. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. That's actually a beautiful summary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we yeah. often see, you know, we just become curious about the history of a system um, and about different generations and about repeating themes. So in which way are things coming back? Maybe in different manifestations, but they're coming back in a way. And then we're always interested in some of the original uh, dynamics there, if we can still find them, obviously. Mm. But yes, absolutely. It's, it's end now, and it's a manifestation of what has happened in the past. Yeah. And there's almost an, uh, as I hear both of you speak, and you, and you drew this out, Mika, like the sort of sy- systems like an IT system has a very mechanistic sound to it, a valence to it. But what you're both talking about sounds a lot more ecological, like flow. I immediately am thinking of a river and I'm immediately thinking of, of the way things naturally grow and, and, and fall apart. Like there's just something much more rhythmic and vibrant. And I guess this is the, why you maybe use the word living Paul is that it's, it's something that's alive as opposed to just a machine. Yeah, I, I like that that comparison because what we've even noticed is that many of the uh, the core principles of uh, looking at something systemically are actually uh, represented in nature. Hmm. So in nature, you can see that every system has connections with other other parts and other systems, like large trees and smaller uh, bushes, and and there's an order in 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 nature. And there is always an exchange in nature, which is just, you know, how we can say feed, feed of each other, but also feed each other hmm. Hmm. and how it is all, every, everything has a function. Um, and very often it's, it's just, you have to start looking at it a little bit differently to start seeing the function, hmm. uh, which might sometimes, something might look detrimental or disruptive but there is a function behind it. And, and you see it back in nature. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's, we've, we have been looking at organizations very instrumentally and almost still from, from the, uh, the old days when we invented the conveyor belt and production systems that were very linear and put pieces together and very mechanistic. And I think it's a, it's a good timing to start looking at it more holistically, more as a um, yeah, part of nature. You know, mm. We are a part of nature as human beings, although we sometimes separate ourselves from it. But actually, we are very much a part of nature. And, that's, uh, and we can sidetrack and then start talking about sustainability, but um, yeah, which is also excellent. But I think this looking at it systemically means that an organization also has a direct connection with its environment. Mm. So that, that's also... Every system has a boundary. So uh, you belong to an organization or you're not in the organization. Mm. But how do you know that is because there is an in and an out. Mm. And that mm. also means that there is a connection with its environment. And it's not just the social, uh, being social to your environment in the city that you uh, have your plants or your organization. But it's also how do you really 
connect with that outside world, with the uh, surroundings and the environment, to keep your system alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to also keep the environment alive, because there is this, this connection between the two of them. Mm-hmm. To stay viable, to stay, and also to be profitable. You know, it's it's not that you know uh, we all do it for only for for fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes it makes a good exchange, makes something profitable. Yeah, yeah. you said it, it, that really resonates with me. And you said in there, which I which maybe connects to something Mika shared earlier, which is this idea that we may see expressions inside the system act behaviors actions uh, whatever whatever is you can actually visibly see something that someone says or does and sometimes those seem seem negative they seem destructive or mm-hmm. hurtful or resistant or counterproductive but what i hear both of you saying in your own way is that all of those are clues towards some underlying function that these interrelations of people and departments and organizations at whatever level you zoom in, there's some, there's some sort of move, an attempt to move towards harmony or flow or yeah. Could you just, could we unpack that a little bit more? Like maybe there's an example you have that speaks to a funk, like an, a, a behavior that might seem quote unquote negative that actually is an expression of something deeper. Yeah. Yeah, the first one that comes to my mind when you when you asked for that is uh, there was one company that we were working with, and when and what we saw was conflict, right? So that that would be the symptom mm. that you uh, you were you're asked to look at uh, when you come in. And when we were digging deeper in the history of this company, this was probably seventy five years ago that it was founded by a young, uh, ambitious um, entrepreneur who had two sons. Um, and in that moment, there was a big crisis in the country, and he hired a young engineer, it was still a small company, hired a young engineer at that time, um, who in the end, because of his actions and decisions and ideas, saved the company during the crisis. Hmm. And uh, the owner decided to um, give his shares to that young engineer and not to his sons, hmm. which, you know, for the survival of the system was probably the right thing to do, but there was a huge uh, court fight at that point in time. The sons lost it. Uh, so in the end, he just built it to a huge empire. This is in, in the country that we're talking about it. Everybody knows this person because it became a huge empire. But interestingly enough, that conflict has shown up time and time again. In mm. different way. Mm. So when the founder left, he installed two CEOs, which is an interesting dynamic as well, <laughs> two captains on one ship. Then you had two regions that were in conflict. There was an acquisition. They stayed in conflict. So there was always this conflict. And we really, you know, dated it back to the, to the early years of the organization. Wow. Um, and sometimes just going back in time and walking the timeline with the executive team and almost by doing that, acknowledging it, seeing it, naming it, integrating it, Sometimes that's enough to have that energy integrated. So it's really, it, uh, systemic interventions are not brutal most of the time. Mm. They're often, as we are saying, we're trying to find that acupuncture point that if you really put your needle there, mm. that it has an effect on the entire system as it also has in your body. So just, that's just an example of something that comes back in different forms. It was not always exactly the same. But that roots, the roots are 
um, yeah, a long time ago and just tracing that back and integrating that all of a sudden releases that loyalty to the past mm. and releases the energy towards the future. Mm. Um, but never in a brutal way. I, I don't think mm. uh, Paul and I have ever done a brutal systemic intervention because interventions on that systemic level have such a huge impact. Yeah. Yeah, I'm struck by the elegance and the simplicity, maybe not the obviousness, but the simplicity of let's look at the whole story. Let's look at the whole journey. Have you ever done that before? No. Why would we do that, right? Like there's there's a sort of, and actually that I wonder about that. I wonder if you two have any thoughts and this might be a, a little bit to the side, so we'll see, but why, why is that? Why does that feel so counterintuitive to, hmm. to sort of slow down and understand the roots as opposed to maybe the do the more then. brutal thing? It's the past. So why should we look back? Yeah. We want to move forward. We want to move forward. We need yeah. more and more and more. Bigger margins, bigger regions, bigger whatever. So because we separate the past from future profits, future prospects from mm. the now, we almost forget that we are we are always connected to that. Mm. As an organization is a living system, like like for example, our bodies. You know, we've learned something in the past and we've integrated it, so now it it has become a skill. It has become unconsciously active. We just do it. You know, you don't think about how to how do you do your laces. Mm. Don't think about how do you get a spoon to your mouth. But in the old days, that was difficult. And you've integrated it, and now it becomes something you just do. Yeah. But it's the same with organizations. You know, the things from the past still count. Sometimes you have like... When, as a person, you have you've you've had something happening to you, like like uh, you were walking outside as a, as a kid, and there was a dog of the neighbors, and the dog was a little bit angry at you. Doesn't even need to have bitten you, but was angry. So next time you see a dog, you're like, "Ooh, careful!" Yeah. And then ten years, you haven't seen a dog, whatever, it doesn't happen, and then you're twenty, thirty, forty, and you suddenly you see a dog again, and you feel that old pain again mm-hmm. as a little boy. Mm. But the same thing happens in organizations, but we don't realize that mm. because we're so much looking forward. We forget about the roots where we came from, mm. but the roots are informing our future success. Mm. Thanks, Paul. Mika, I see you. Yeah, yeah. I, I would also add that it requires an additional skill set from leaders because when you mm. do part of that integration work, you're also faced with some mourning, right? Yeah. Some loss. And that needs to, you know, you, to be able to hold the space for that as well, it's not always in the skill set of the leaders that we have trained in the past. So I think it also requires an additional skill set to be able to hold that without being dragged into the past because we do want to move forward. But but I yeah, I think it it's an additional skill set that luckily we see more and more leaders adding to whatever made them successful in the past, but really to be able to deal with the loss that also comes up. Paul and I were recently doing an intervention with a team of two legacy companies that were just acquired by a private equity, both, Mm -hmm. and they were asked to be integrated into Mm -hmm. one. And we, we did such a, in a way, 
a simple intervention, you know, we just, and it was online. Normally we would do this face-to-face. -face. We just asked all the people from Legacy One to put their cameras on and the others to put their cameras off. So that for a moment, we could still see that that subsystem, which we don't, we're not allowed to name anymore because we are a new company, we have a new name, that that is still there. And it was so beautiful to see when we asked the people that were on the screen, you know, what, what is what's coming up? What do you notice? What, what, what happens in your body? That the first things they said, you know, there was, there was sadness, there was loss, you know, because a lot of their former colleagues were not there anymore. And it was just beautiful to integrate that for a moment. We did the same for the other legacy and then for the people that uh, just came in. And just that intervention allowed them to reconnect as the new team. Hmm. so again but you need to be able to hold that because it's quite uncomfortable to see all these leaders on the screen and expressing sadness and loss and at the same time it's also not more than that so it's it's interesting how we work with leaders to be able to develop more of that skill set as well yeah i mean the again the simplicity and the elegance here it sounds like maybe you spent 20 minutes or less on this total. <laughs> and exactly, we did. Yeah. Not, not more than that. Yeah. <laughs> 10 minutes. Yeah. 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 There's some, there's some way in which the, um, what I'm tuning into, and I, and I'm not sure how much of maybe, maybe you all can interpret this better than I can, but there's a sense in which one response. I often see in myself and that I see in groups and you just described this really beautifully is, is a, not just an ignorance of the past, but a fear of the past that if we were to actually name and acknowledge a thing that happened, we lost some of our colleagues in this merger. Yeah. That if we were to do that, that might somehow unleash so much emotional ang anger, energy, some sort of destructive force that, that we we just, don't name it, just, yeah. just go forward. And, and the sort of irony of that is that's so brutal. Like the brutality of that move <laughs> is to simply say your sadness can't be expressed here. Yeah. And then, and then to go, Oh, no, actually just maybe not just, but if we at least start with 10 minutes of naming the sadness, what might happen then? That's what I, that's what I'm tuning into. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I think you name it beautifully. It's, uh, you know, just imagine it's, it is there anyway. Yeah. But we don't yeah. talk about it. So it takes energy to put it away to not talk about it. Mm. So that energy you can't use to do whatever you want to do in the organization. That's one. The other thing is that, you know, it's, it is there. And then we forget about it, but it doesn't go away. It's like, a beach ball, holding a beach ball under the water. You're standing in the ocean, mm. you're holding a beach ball under the water. At a certain moment, your arms get so tired that it almost explodes in your face. It jumps up. Yeah. And then it's there. And it could be there in all kinds of different forms as a symptom. That's why we call it this. It could be a conflict. It could be a, a big disruption. It could be a fight between people. It could be somebody goes into a burnout suddenly. Mm. Mm. And it's so simple, like you so beautifully said, when we just give it a little bit of time to speak about it, to name it. And there is very often what we then hear 
is a very big sigh of relief. Mm. Mm. And they say, finally. Finally, we can talk about it. And that is the whole solution. Mm. When we put it out there, bring it back into consciousness, bring it back into awareness, and we can talk about it. And maybe there's a few tears shed, maybe not. And then people, at a certain moment, people feel, okay, ah, la, hmm, now we can move on again. And the whole atmosphere in a team can can just change. Yeah. I'm struck, like, I love your beach ball metaphor. You know, we could we could debate about whether or not you, you want to deflate the beach ball. But what I like about the metaphor here is that even if you don't or shouldn't, it, now it's just there and floating on the water. And no one has to use energy to keep it down. Nothing. No one has to pretend it's not there. You could even go back and play with it again if it serves you. And it's just much... It's a much lighter, literally, it's now floating as opposed to to being repressed. And that yeah, lightness sounds really powerful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Mika. Yeah, I would like to add a, a perspective on leadership again. Because, and I'm, I, I was, as I, I worked for the same company for 20 years, but in nine different roles. Wow. And I think we, we just, we're so used to expect from leaders that they put their mark on the you know, mm. on the organization, that they leave their legacy, mm. that they do something different, that they do a change or transformational program. And again, I, I, I was the same. You know, every time you feel that you have to leave your legacy and do something different or do something that is all yours. I think when you think systemically, we also invite leaders to more take their place in a long lineage of leaders. Mm. And there were people before them and there will be people after them. Mm. And that just totally shifts. It, it really shifts how you see yourself and how strong your ego come, comes into um, the story. I, I really think, and also that has been magical when we walk these timelines. And again, walking the timeline is only one of the interventions that we do to really almost, you know, people know that they're important and at the same, same time, they're only one chain in the whole lineage of leaders and in the whole lineage lineage of the organization so yeah i I, again i always we we have been trained to expect from leaders to be a certain way and i I think we need to expand our view Mm -hmm. on on what that looks like yeah yeah that the even just hearing you make that invitation there's something the word that actually has come up in my mind a few times now is liberation. Like there's a quality of liberating energy so that it can flow. There's a quality of also liberating members of the system from burdens or beliefs that have been really heavy. Like the, like the sort of beach ball of like, I'm the leader and I have to leave my mark. And I ha- and it's like, no, actually, you're part of something much, much bigger and beautiful mm-hmm. that stretches both backwards and forwards in time. And the beautiful thing about that is it seems to be like that. I imagine myself as a leader really internalizing that. And I feel much lighter now. I feel much more capable of saying, okay, I'm here for the time I'm here. And while I'm here, I'm going to do my best to be of service and help the whole system thrive. Yeah. And maybe that'll leave a mark, you know, and it, in fact, it almost inevitably will leave a mark exactly. because I'm part of this chain, but it will likely leave a mark or it will likely leave a, a, a an impression in the system that allows for more flow in the future. Yeah. And that's just so beautiful. So thank you for, for sharing that Mika. It's, it's I mean, it's uh, to just follow on 
it's our experience that when leaders start seeing it that way, actually what they do is they free of more potential of themselves. Yeah. Like you say, liberating. Yeah. And then they can be more human. They can be easier in the interaction. They can still drive great goals and great results. But the followership becomes a lot easier from the organization to the leader. So when the leader is more connected to the organization, it becomes more of a unit and a unity that can create something. Instead of a leader, you know, sometimes we see leaders stepping into an organization and first thing they do is talk bad about their predecessor. <laughs> yeah. What do you think the organization is thinking? Mm. Mm. You know, they step out of that lineage and put themselves on a pedestal immediately when they come in and then they oh, well, wouldn't say they bash their predecessor, but, they, you know, well, it wasn't as good and da-da-da-da-da, could all be better. And everybody might be very connected to the predecessor. Mm. And you already separate yourself instead of connecting. Mm. So mm. it is definitely um, a potential for a leader to free up his or her own potential mm. and to become more one with the organization, even when they come through the ranks, because sometimes they feel when they get into a new role, if it's, if it's into the exco or to become the CEO, they suddenly think, now I have to do it differently. Mm, mm. Maybe that's exactly not why people chose you as their leader. Mm. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah. it's interesting when you see yourself as part of a system, of a lineage, of a longer, a larger whole, then, um, you know, one of the traits that we often talk about in leadership is, is um, being humble. And this makes you immediately feel more humble. Yeah. And it helps to understand what to look for, though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I've really worked with leaders that, you know, after talking to their teams, I, I was like, they have worked on all dimensions. They have worked against the system, but wow. with such good intentions. <laughs> so wow. it literally, you know, with good intentions and really thinking they were doing the right things, but really working against some of these natural principles that we see at play. So, yeah, you also, I, that's why systemic intelligence is so revealing because all of a sudden people understand like, oh, that's going, that's what's really going on. Yeah, so. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe we could, uh, I'm feeling really inspired imagining families, organizations, countries, uh, even, even a planet that embodies this kind of intelligence and that pe where people are equipped to, to practice and apply this kind of intelligence. And maybe we could just break that down. I, from what I understand, you have sort of four elements or principles. Maybe we could sort of and I don't know if we'll have time to get through all four. We'll just sort of see how it goes. We still have a good, a good solid 20 minutes left or so, but um, maybe even 30 minutes. But I, I feel like that feels like a next step here for me to sort of say, okay, now there's, we've established that this dynamic is not only at play, but is actually at root in every mm -hmm. group that even right now, the three of us are now creating a system and our, our interrelationships are producing effects in the system. And that just is going to happen. Yeah. And you, and you can apply all these four principles um, to how we got to this conversation even. 
Yeah. Great. Let, let me give you the four, yeah, and then, then al uh, alternating, we can just do as a little to uh, headline of, of what a principle is. Yeah. Um, we see this as we see those four principles as lenses to start looking into a system at mm. a deeper level, at the mm. undertow, mm. under the surface, under the the waterline. So, um, four principles. The first one is purpose. So that gives you the guiding light. What are we here for? Mm. The second is connection and inclusion, which mm. talks about more about the horizontal connections. The third one is order. Every, every system has an intrinsic order. Even if you don't create it, it'll, it'll create itself. Mm. And the fourth one is exchange. And that, is, that, that also creates the vitality and the flow in an organization. Mm. So let me take the first one and I'll pass it on to Mika. Purpose means, and we have a, a differentiation between mission statements, which is very often inside out. So the organization determines, I want to be this in the market, known for quality, or I want to have this market share. I want to be first amongst my peers or best of, or that is inside out. Mm -hmm. The company decides how they want to be in the market. A purpose is outside in and answers the question, what are we really in service of? Hmm. What is the outside asking us to, how to serve them? What to bring to them? What is the product that they really need instead of the product that I think and I'm going to push? Hmm. So automatically there is a flow. If the outside world is asking for something and you provide that, you automatically have a market. You automatically have sales you automatically have a creation yeah in contrast to family systems which we all know by living in it a family system has one purpose which is passing on life mm. and there's various ways of doing that you can do that by having children and offspring you can also do that by uh, offering and supporting good deeds or um, offering money to charity or that's mm. another way of passing on life, mm. the stream of life. Mm. Organizations are man-made systems. Mm. Initially, they were not there and then somebody had a thought and they started an organization. And first of all, very entrepreneurial and could grow up to become very big. In a system, that's the, the, the difference between family and organizational system, you can stop an organization when the purpose has been fulfilled when your service is no longer necessary, you have two choices. One is to stop the system, stop the organization, because it's not serving any purpose anymore, literally. Or, and most of the time we, we have beautiful words for that, do a strategic reorientation on purpose. Or in other words, what can we be of service now? Mm. Mm. So, and one of the things that you sometimes see is that people keep following the same purpose, keep doing the same thing, although the purpose has already been fulfilled and that is damaging for the organization. It's damaging wow. for the environment. So that's the yeah. first principle. What are you in purpose of? What are you in service of as a guiding light for putting all your energy to? Yeah. When So I can imagine that companies, leadership teams, might often surprise themselves or be surprised when they 
are asked to consciously and explicitly articulate that purpose and connect to it. And it's particularly when they just, maybe when they discover that, oh, the, the purpose we were fulfilling has been fulfilled. So there's like a deeper, there's a kind of a really existential is the word that's coming through for me. This is really an important question. And I, yeah, I wonder if you could just say a bit more about that, Paul or, or Mika, if you're, if you are resonating with that, like, again, there's beauty in the purpose question, but it's not, it's non-obvious. It's not something that I think a lot of people engage with consciously or, or they think they are, but they're doing the, what did you say? It's the outside in, like, here's what I'm going to bring to you as opposed to here's what you need from me. Well, to give you, give you one or two examples. Um, We're currently in a, in a, in a pandemic. What you saw in the start of the pandemic, unfortunately, uh, well, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) what you saw in the beginning in in the earlier months of the pandemic is that many organizations although they were not in the market of, of personal protective equipments or of making masks or anything that was in service of the healthcare workers, for example. And they started repurposing the visions of their own organization to br- produce products that would help the healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. And you saw an uptake in motivation, an uptake in, in, in active um, contribution by the workers. Because suddenly it was there. So that is something different. And there were luxury brands that normally bring out very, you know, very expensive clothes or, or, or whatever products they produce. And they said, well, let's do something else. And, and there was loads of energy going there. Mm. So, so that is one, one example. Uh, one of the other examples that I often give is that when uh, internet started coming up, and especially like uh, the companies like Amazon and Book Depository, uh, Book Depository, uh, Bold.com, whatever. All these companies that were selling books online, suddenly you saw that many bookstores had served their purpose because they were more general bookstores. And that Mm. was now taken over by the Amazons Mm. of the book online companies. The ones that are still surviving are the specialty bookstores. Mm. Mm. On, on antiquated books or uh, um, or on special topics, that's they are still serving a purpose. Yeah. So that's where you see the differentiation. Sometimes it's being fulfilled by another uh, route or by another means, and then suddenly your purpose is gone. But also now, what we also see is that in in in, a, in the pandemic, that people are starting to shop more locally. So suddenly, the purpose of the local shop the local grocery the local bakery becomes more important yeah yeah i just was connecting with that thinking about the bookstore that i i buy from and and like the outside in purpose of that bookstore is to sell me books but the sort of inside out actually is to serve as a place of community and connection and and ideas and learning especially in the midst of time when when we're being forced apart and so i i think whether they've really consciously articulated it or not, that bookstore is serving that purpose really well. And as a byproduct, they're also continuing to sell books and stay in business. Exactly. Yeah. yeah that's uh-huh. what you see a lot. Mm. Mika, is there yeah. anything you want to add to purpose or should we shift to connection and inclusion? As well, I think we should shift because I don't think it's wise to leave people hanging with only two or three of the four. Yeah. Principles. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, our one purpose we might want to offer is all four principles here. 
Yeah. Let me do the second one, uh, and maybe I'll add the third one, and then Paul, you can do the fourth one. Mm -hmm. um, the second principle is connection and inclusion, and it's all about you know defining what is now that system. You know, if we want to achieve that purpose, what is the system that we need? What are the boundaries of that system? Who's in and who's out? Who belongs and who doesn't belong? And what does it take to belong? And there are two subtitles with this principle. And the first one is that everybody who belongs to the system is entitled to a place in the system. Mm. So everybody mm. who belongs to the system is entitled to a place in the system. Because there's a very strong dynamic when we see either exclusion or over-inclusion. Mm. So what you need, who you need, which, which competences you need, you know, it's always in service of the purpose. It's not just a matter of just over-including everybody, but it's also not a matter of excluding because exclusion has a lot of correcting uh, mechanisms. Hmm. The other subtitle with this principle is that nobody can leave the system unnoticed. And that means that when someone leaves the system, and again, in a man-made system, in family systems, it's really hard to leave, even though you never contact your family again, you're still yeah. part of that system. But in man-made systems, you can leave. But if that is done without a proper closure, what we often see is that there's still a lot of energy going to the is going to the people that have left, mm. which sometimes makes it impossible for the next person to be successful in that job, mm. uh, because you know there's loyalty to the previous or that that um, seed is contaminated because something that has happened with a predecessor. Mm. So that's another question that we're always interested in: is what happened with the predecessors and maybe the predecessor or the predecessor. Uh, so that's the second part. So it's really almost defining what is the building, right? What is the what is the system that we're talking about? And then and then I'm moving to the third uh, principle. Then okay, you have the building, and then you enter the building, and then the question is okay, but where's my place? Uh, so mm -hmm. the principle of order helps you to define, you know, in this building is my place on the first, second, third, fourth, fifth floor, and which office am I in? And and not literally, but within that system. What are the criteria for order? What, what, and they might be very different. And we often think that, oh, the org chart tells us that, right? You have the number one, and that's true. They're the number one because they're responsible for the whole. And then you have the level below. So uh, vertically, that's still relatively clear most of the time, even though in new ways of working, it's changing. But then horizontally, you know, who has a stronger voice here? Mm. Who has a stronger mm. voice in certain decisions? What is really important here? Um, and that can be very different from organizational system to organizational system. And there's no right or wrong. It just, again, depends on what your purpose is. Um, the organization that I come from, when we would do a round table with introductions, you know, people would introduce themselves like, you know, and I'm, I'm Mika and I'm 20 years here. And the next one would say, and I'm Peter and I'm 28 years. And it would go up and up. And there would be one who said, you know, I'm 40 years here. So tenure was a very important uh, criteria for order. Mm. But there's a lot of much more modern organization where that is a horrible idea. <laughs> you know, we even have people that are there for 30 years. So their diversity of thought, influence um, is much more important. So there's no right or wrong, but we have found that there are many different criteria for order that are unspoken. And they mm. do have an impact and it has all kinds of um, entanglements as a result. So, so that's the third principle. So with the building and with order, you finally know what's everyone's place in the system. Mm. 
Hmm. Not in a strict job description, um, you know, point of view, but it really creates rest in an organization when everybody occupies their own place. Hmm. It doesn't try to step in other people's shoes, but occupies and fully occupies their place with all the responsibilities that come with it. So that's the number two and number three. And maybe Paul, it helps to add number four so that we have the complete picture and then Andy, you can. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. You're on mute, Paul. The the thing that that Mika mentioned uh, in between, like, like in new systems, you know, connection and order and, and thinking about working with agile teams and having a new team over and over again means that you have to reassess what is the connection here? What, is it, what does it take to belong in this now new team? What is now my place in this team? Because in the previous team, I might have been the leader. Now mm. I'm just mm. carrying the water bottles, for example. But that's also a function. So it is in the new way of working, mm. it becomes even more important to start looking for these things. Well, and, and if we, like Mika so beautifully said, if we have the building and we know uh, which, which part of the building I need to be in, then we need to breathe some life into the building. And that's where the fourth principle comes in. And the fourth principle talks about exchange. Mm. Mm. And uh, in family systems, it's very simple. And in organizations and all systems, it's almost opposite, you could say. In family systems, and this sounds maybe for some people a little bit um, strange, but the exchange is parents give, children take. When they've taken what was there, they leave the house. And obviously, very often people ask us, yeah, but what if I want to take care of my mother when she gets older, my father? Um, Well, when you can still do that as staying the child of your parents, then it's no problem. But when you start becoming the parent of your parents saying, well, mom, open your your mouth, here it is, and you're going to decide for them when they're still conscious enough and and, and, uh, present enough to make their own decisions, you don't want to start doing that. In organizations, it's different. The founder or founders mm. of the organization, they have already invested. They've invested time. They've taken the risk. They might have invested money. So they have already given into the system. So when you come and you join a company, the first thing they expect you mm. to do is to also give before you can take. Because the founders created the space for mm. you to come, mm. to join. Mm. You have to give something back. So that's also the simple reason why at the end of the month or after the work you've done, you get paid and not before. Yeah, first you give and then you can take. And it's not just about money. It's about recognition. It's about educational opportunities. It's about learning possibilities. It's about getting new experiences. So the exchange is, the importance of exchange is to look at it over time and see if there is some kind of balance over time. So if people would ask you to uh, to do overtime mm. every week, uh, say eight or nine hours extra, and there's nothing coming in return, at a certain moment, you don't like that anymore. You get demotivated and, and the flow starts to stop. The, the aliveness, the vitality starts to stop or stall. If people help you to say, well, you know, you've, you've been doing extra hours and extra hours, why don't you go home? tomorrow a little bit earlier and then people feel like oh i'm being recognized for what i've given and i get something back in return one of the worst cases i've seen is that uh, theft in an organization was initiated 
because there was no good exchange. There was a young man who was doing a lot of extra extra hours, extra service. Mm. And and then he at a certain moment, he asked, you know, are you going to pay me for the extra hours? And the company said, no. Can I then maybe take my girlfriend to dinner and then bring the bill and you pay it for me? No, no. And there was only no, no, no. Eventually, he said, I just took mm. what I was entitled mm. to. So that's when companies don't give. The other, the other way around, if companies give mm. too much, though they overload people, what you see happening in organizations is that uh, certain people start to become entitled to all that money. And actually what is happening, because mm-hmm. you are giving, 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 you reinstall the parent-child dynamic. And from that dynamic, even the people high up in the organization who are overpaid, and it's no, no more in any relation to what they are responsible for or what they deliver, they will, they will feel entitled. And if you take something away, and we've seen it often in, in, in 2007 and, and uh, uh, yeah, 2007 and 2008, when the financial crisis were there and they took away the bonuses of the highly paid bankers, uh, especially here in Holland where I live, yeah. you know, there was, you, they tried after one and a half years immediately to put it, to reinstall that. Because they were, well, we, we are entitled to have it. And it's very interesting when there is a skewed way of exchange. You see that work doesn't flow easily. Vitality is not easy in the system. It really becomes hard work. You know, I'm struck with all four of these principles. And you may have said this at some point, Paul. I think you were speaking specifically about order. Like order is going to happen whether you, whether you make it or not. So there's a sort of... Uh, I'm noticing that the the relationship between conscious and unconscious maybe is one way to make that distinction. Like the system is, it has a purpose, whether it knows it or not. It has systems of connection and disconnection, whether it knows it or not. It has systems of order, whether it knows it or not. And it has systems of exchange, whether it knows it or not. The I guess the it knowing is really whether we as members of the system know it or not, and then make choices that that allow for all four of those principles to be expressed as fully and as wholly as they need to be for that system. Is that right? Beautiful summary. Couldn't say it any better. Mm. It is It is about becoming, yeah. and that's what we do. We, we help leaders and organizations to become more conscious about these four lenses. And, and why is that important? Because the work they do nowadays is work in complexity. And these lenses help to see through the complexity Mm. and help you to Mm. start making decisions that get you out of issues that are repeating themselves. Like what Mika said earlier, when when, when we're looking for that acupuncture point, once you find that and you touch that or you put a needle in it, and then we wait and see what the effect is. The mobile over the baby's bed has been touched. It starts to move and we wait till it finds its new balance. Mm. So we only do one step at a time. We don't come with a 10-step plan. Because once we've Mm. touched it at the right level, a lot of things will change and will move. So we wait a little bit till it settles again and then we'll see what then surfaces. Very often, we don't need to do any much any, 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 any after that. But that's, that's also the shift of the leadership 
uh, if they start, sometimes you can start thinking in solutions that only need one or two steps. But we can't predict what the second step is going to be until we see how the system has responded to the intervention. Yeah. Yeah, like this, even in here, I hear you describing a kind of conscious versus unconscious. And the unconscious might be those those two departments are fighting. We need to stop them from fighting, right? Like you see the symptom and you go after the symptom, but inevitably any that's that's touching the mobile and it's going to start to swing in all sorts of ways. And so there's just a recognition that any any move makes the system react. But the right moves, it sounds like, can restore balance and harmony quite beautifully mm. and elegantly. One, uh, in the last few minutes before we wrap here, um, one, for those who are listening, I mentioned at the top, we're going to have a little guided meditation after the formal finish of the conversation. So I really recommend you stick around for that. Um, and also Mika, I believe, has brought us something special as well here. So we'll have that in a minute. But I'm, I'm feeling really drawn to a specific question around the way these four lenses interplay. And then I also want to make sure, Paul and Mika, if you have anything else that you want to share, we just have a little space for that. So maybe I'll, I'll just point out a, a, an interplay that I'm, that's really resonating with me and then leave you all space to respond and close in whatever way feels right. Yeah, Does well. that sound good? Okay. So this this feels really alive for me and i think it also feels alive for a lot of americans right now in the states and it, and it is the question of of i think in a way it's a question of of order versus inclusion or at least that's the way those two lenses have been set up as polarities unconsciously it would be my description in our culture that either you have one mm-hmm. or the other and if you have one, it's at the expense of the other. But w- what I hear you sort of pointing towards, and maybe we could just flesh this out a little bit more, is that in fact, the two are both essential and both intimately and inextricably linked. That if you have an order that produces too much in-group, out-group, or too much exclusion or too much scapegoating, eventually the system will, will suffer probably pretty quickly. But also if you have a system that just emphasizes pure connection and and everyone gets a seat at the table and it's all it's all sort of rosy and and lovely at the expense of clear order, at least in a man-made system, that's also going to produce a lot of uh, dissonance and and pain and and challenge. And this is, could probably be true of any of these four lenses that all of them speak to each other and inform each other. And I wonder if if you, I would just love to hear you both speak to the interrelatedness of these lenses. For me, I'm really noticing the order connection lens, but really any of them, like, I wonder what that observation draws out in each of you. Yeah, I would say for both, the question though is what is the purpose that we are serving? Because that will define who's in and who's out. And it will yeah. also define what, what the right criteria are for order. And again, that might be dynamic, right? Purpose is also not static. So it is dynamic. But at, at these moments of repurposing, mm. to ask yourself again, and who needs to belong now? And who needs to, who, who in, in essence, does not belong anymore if that is our new purpose. And again, if that, that is our new purpose, what are now the criteria for order? It, those are really valid questions, but they're always in connection to the purpose. Mm. Not, yeah, mm. yeah. 
Mm. That's the first thing that I would say. Yeah, that's really resonates with me. Thank you, Mika. Paul, what's coming for you? That's where I was going as well. Um, First, I I loved what you said about man-made systems. Um, By the way, countries are man-made systems. Um, But that's a whole different conversation. (laughs) And I I don't want to go into politics as well, but... Also, what you see in, in uh, like like a parliament or a senate or whatever political body do you have, you have, what are they in service mm. of? Mm. Officially, they are in service of the people, mm. not of themselves, but of the people. Yeah, and I think that from that you can start restoring. And what is then a good purpose to have to really serve the people mm. that might be able to unite but also gives clarity about how things are what the boundaries are how things are being run how how can it flow again and definitely um and i don't want to go into american politics because i'm I'm not an expert on that at all me me neither (laughs) um but it's it's um you you can you can look at that um in a more generic way and saying, okay, what is what is helpful? What is going to be helpful um, for the country? And in general, I'm also thinking about other countries, and it's it's uh, um, where sometimes parties. Uh, we have a very multi-party system here in uh, in Holland, and, uh, and some are self-serving, and some are serving. But sometimes they're too one, looking at only one angle mm. of the whole system. Mm. So um, yeah, it's 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 mainly what is the what can be a good purpose to reunite on some basic values in a way that is not harming other people. Yeah, I'm just struck by how simply by you naming these four lenses, I already feel more conscious. Like if I were to look at my family, or look at politics, or look at companies I've worked with, or look at even just my clients and, and my relationship with them, the, just being aware of the lenses seems to have a, I, it seems to be really powerful. That in and of mm. itself, start is, I can see how that starts to shift things. And then, then you can make conscious as opposed to unconscious interventions using them. It's really cool. Mika, I saw you. Yeah, I wanted to add one more thing. A, a very important question is, what is the relevant system for this question? <laughs> so are mm. we solving it in the right system? Mm. That's an important question. Mm. And when it looks confusing or very complex, then one of the things you can do is just widen your view and either look at the broader system or look back in time. Mm. Mm. But defining in which system this needs to be solved, what the relevant system is for the question is a very important question in systemic work. I love that question. Thank you. So uh, this has been so fun and enriching and enlivening for me. And um, Mika, from what I understand, you've brought a poem with you. Is that right? Yeah. Well, let me rephrase that. I I am a poet. I do write poems. And typically uh, when Paul and I teach, um, we always end a session or a day with one of my poems. So I did uh, I not it. bring a specific poem, but I let myself be inspired by the conversation. And the moment, Andy, you said, you know, when you say flow, um, I have this sense of a river. Mm. 
I knew which poem I wanted to read okay. at and, the end of the session. And before you do that, Mika, I want to just, because I feel like that would be a really nice, that the poem sounds like the perfect closing piece. And then we'll kind of stop and we can do the meditation for anyone who wants to stick around or hear it later. I just want to just check in and see if there's anything else that either of you feel called to say. And and also I want to make sure that people know where they can find your your work uh, out there on the on the system that is the internet that we all have access to. So, yeah, Paul, anything that you feel you want to say in closing, or or just even to share where people can find out more about what you're up to? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for the opportunity to have this beautiful uh, conversation, and uh, you know, I think that we 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 had a purpose with this conversation. You have a purpose with what you're doing. Um, we concluded that this was the relevant system for this uh, conversation and the order was pretty clear your role our yeah. role and um you know and I, I love the exchange and you and you said you learned a lot and it was good for you i learned a lot and that's that's also how i always see our work as we do it uh, one thing that i want to add is um that doesn't always make us popular during our work is what we also do is we name what we see. And that is an intervention in systemic work. Actually, what we do is we make the unconscious conscious <laughs> of the system. So we pull the water ball, the, the, um, the beach ball, we, we, we just show them there is a beach ball here. Uh, or we show them, you know, you're, 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 you're doing the same dynamic over and over again, just with different colors. <laughs> In the beginning, sometimes that is a little, you know, because we disrupt their rhythm, their flow, but their flow is not always helpful for mm. the system. So we disrupt sometimes. And naming what is, and you can do also do that very gently. You can also investigate it together. For example, a team, just sit together and say, okay, let's name everything that is happening, everything that we see that we normally don't talk about. That can be such a revealing and, and, and liberating, like you mentioned earlier, liberating thing for people to do. And then they don't even need to hire us and, and they don't even need to go to our website. <laughs> um, they can just solve a lot of stuff themselves. Yeah, just neat. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Thanks, Paul. Hmm. Mika, anything else or is, is the uh, poem, should we, should we hear that? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So whenever you're ready. So this poem is called River. <laughs> uh, so that's what you led me to. I wrote it actually when I was uh, in the Ozarks and uh, exploring the beautiful rivers. But it might speak to systemic navigation. Um, <laughs> so none of my poems are written to be systemically interesting, but somehow when I read them again afterwards you know somehow they're so systemic <laughs> yeah. what if i would just follow the river and do nothing else in this life barefoot lightly touching its banks leaving no trace only my silhouette reflected in the shallow following its moody curves Trusting that it will lead me to the source at last. Painting the webs of roots that are holding the river borders. Uncovered by its endless flow, 
memorizing each unique maze. Gathering the treasures of the flood, white soft polished stones, rocks that are calling my name, sand glowing in the palm of my hand. I'm honoring my place in the everything. The sacred plants and animals belonged here long before we humans did. I'm witnessing the beavers labor. They're changing the river's direction as they please. I'm discovering a deer's antler, counting another year on his majestic head. I'm leaving it where he let go. It is not mine to keep. Finding shelter in the nightly caves and laying my head to rest, spied on by a family of bats. Conversing with the river snakes, the black ones and the tiny poisonous greens. Eye to eye, whispering without words. I know I plead guilty as charged, I am a trespasser. I mean no harm, I come in peace. Calling on the water spirits, the souls of the springs, the nymphs guarding the creeks, the creators of the rivers, the goddesses of the oceans, the beholders of all life. What if I would just become the river and be nothing else in this life? <sighs> wow. Thank you, Nika. Thank you, Paul. This is such a treat. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for tuning in to the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua and audio editing and engineering services from Jim Serqua at Sump Pump Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep the show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever. So welcome, welcome to this meditation, this visualization of uh, seven generations. In the systemic work, and especially in the fam family systemic work, we always talk about that you are the energetic manifestation of seven generations and the source before, that's how far we go back. Mm. So I invite you to... Uh, to join me in this meditation, this visualization, and make yourself comfortable. Make yourself comfortable if it is that you're sitting down or when you're standing, whatever you prefer. And take a few deeper breaths and notice how your body gets nourished 
by the oxygen, by the breathing. And slow down your exhale. So you can drop inside a little bit more with every exhale that you do. And feel the connection between the floor, the earth, anything that is supporting your feet. And notice that contact with the ground. And if you're sitting, also notice how the chair is supporting you. And if you're standing, how your legs, nice and subtle, are just supporting you through your pelvis and your backbone to be upright. And I invite you to imagine that you are in a beautiful open space in nature. An open space where you can receive, you can host many people. An open space that is a good space for you. A space where you, which you can enjoy that can be by the sea, it can be an open space in a forest could be in the mountains, could be anywhere that just comes to mind where you feel at ease, where you feel nurtured and resourced. And I invite you to stand there and make sure there's a lot of space behind you. And we will start building field of seven generations and the stores before also based on the expression that your ancestors are your real roots we often talk about your roots going into the earth but that's also we are built from earth and those seven generations and the source before are your energetic family roots from which you gained a lot, from which you are in debt a lot, but also from which you enjoyed a lot, hopefully. And when you're standing in that open space, I invite you to invite behind you and do determine what the distance will be. So it's comfortable for you to invite behind you your father and your mother, one behind every shoulder of yours. The first generation, out of a moment of love, the spark for you to become alive happens. So your father and your mother, the first generation, in a comfortable distance, behind you and just notice how that feels for you for some that feels very welcome for others there might be something that has happened in the past but still they are your bloodline if anything one thing you 
can be grateful for is the fact that they gave you life. And behind your parents, you invite your grandparents, the father and the mother of your father, the father and the mother of your mother, your parental and your maternal grandparents, four in total, two generations back. And again, notice how that feels. Maybe you take a deep breath in and notice how that feels on your back. What are the sensations that you notice? Can you breathe more deeply? Do you stand more firm? Whatever comes to mind, that's okay. And behind your grandparents, and maybe you have, you have known one, of, one or two or more of them, or maybe not. Your great-grandparents, three generations back, eight people in total, the parents of your grandparents. Just building the fields of your roots, of the energy. And behind your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents, four generations back, 16 people in total. And many of us have never known their great-great-grandparents, but your great-great-grandparents know you. So we have four generations already behind you and then invite their grandparents, their parents, Parents of your great-great-grandparents, 32 people, and the field widens. The field opens up even wider, and behind them, the sixth generation, 64 people. And we all need them. They were all needed. And even behind them, another 128 people seven generations before you were born. 256 people. And all of them were needed for you to be born. If one of them hadn't been there, you would not be here. This is your ancestral fields. And even behind the seven generations is what we call the source before. And you can call that eternity. Some people have different names. Could be God, could be Allah. It could be love or the light, whatever connects for you with the term the source before. And all those seven generations were needed for you to be here today. And I want to offer you a few options. So maybe in your mind's eye, if you feel comfortable, you can lean back a little bit and lean a bit and feel into the support of those seven generations that is there, the force and the support. 
and know that you're being held by all those generations. You could also, and again, this is an option, this is your choice. You can also imagine that from the source in the seven generations back, people place one of their hands on the shoulder of their child. So every child feels a hand of the father and a hand of the mother. And from the seven generations back, it goes forward and forward and forward, building bridges, building a whole network, a whole matrix of hands on shoulders, eventually landing through the hands of your parents on your shoulders, all the way back from seven generations on your shoulders. And just notice if you've made this choice, how it feels feels to be held by the field. Take a few deep breaths in through your back and breathe in the fact that you belong. You belong to these seven generations and more. You belong to this ancestral field these are your roots. This is where you came from. These were all necessary for you to be here. And the beauty of being connected to this field, if it is just by standing there or if it's by feeling those hands, one after the other, after the other, after the other, reaching out to you that you can invite the beauty, the qualities, the strength, and all the resources that are available in this field of seven generations because they can send you their experience through this network of managing difficult situations because they have been through difficult situations, but they survived, they managed. They can send you their qualities, the qualities of life and living, maybe artistic, creative qualities, wisdom of life that they have gained through joy and hardship, through being together and being alone sometimes, but they have managed. And they might have struggled and they might have had a very easy life. They have experienced joy. They had endurance. But what they definitely had was hope, hope for the next generation hope for the next generation to be a little bit more free from burdens, be a little bit more open and enjoying life just a little bit more. So invite the qualities, invite the strength and the resources to flow through, towards you. And you can judge, you can choose how much 
you want to invite to come to you, into you through the backside of your heart. Because the receiving heart is on the backside of your body. So let yourself be nourished. And when it is enough, it is enough. Because remember, you can always go back to this experience. It is your free will to connect to your roots, to your ancestors, to your resources. And just breathe it in. And fill your heart and your lungs and your body, your energy, if you want to. And just feel how it feels and how it senses, the senses in your body get awakened by being connected to this field. And I want to offer you one more choice to make. Because to round this off, you can choose to just wait till I've given you the choices. You can either choose to step forward and turn around and look at them. Or you can just stay like it is. Maybe put your hands on your heart and feel the gratitude. But do whatever feels good for you. And you can also make a combination. Put your hands on your heart, do a step forward and turn around and look at the field of your ancestors. And maybe there are familiar faces. There will be definitely faces that you've never seen before, but they are your ancestors. And as they are there, always, maybe, and just check what feels good for you. Maybe you want to make a little bow. Or maybe you just want to, with a smile, express your gratitude. Whatever feels good for you. And you can thank them. You can bow to them. You might see some smiling faces because you can imagine if you would ask somebody if you have something to offer for a descendant four or five generations forward, that the only answer they can give is, yes, I do. So store this experience, the energy, the gifts, store them somewhere where you always store these gifts. And then gradually, as you have invited them in, you also let them go again. So the seventh generation passes back to where they came from. And then the sixth generation and gradually, all the generations go back to where they came from. But they are not gone because they are inside of you.
just on your own time, in your own rhythm. You can start taking a few deeper breaths and you can start coming back to the reality of the here and now, present moment. Taking with you the experience that nobody can take away from you anymore. It's inside of you. And gradually connected with the seven generations to whom you can always go back and gradually come back to the present moment. Maybe move your legs a little bit, move your hands, move your shoulders, your arms. Maybe you stretch out a little bit. You move your body, you shake your head and gradually you open your eyes. And you continue your day as you like it.